everybody, my name is Scott. <laughs> That's a four-step song. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. My name's Scott. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and recovery from alcohol and drugs. Great to see you all here tonight. Join me in prayer. Lord, in this moment, I give you my life, my words. I, I, you know my heart. I believe this is a message that every person needs to hear and uh, at least consider in their life. Would you empower it tonight? Would it be your words? It's your truth. Um, and many of us uh, are spreading this message. We ask you to do the work. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're beginning, it's, it's the beginning of the year, our, our year-long uh, tour through the teachings of the biblical principles of the 12 Steps of Recovery. And I've titled this lesson, Celebrate Recovery, 12 Steps to Life Change, Discipleship That Actually Works. My goal for tonight is to answer for anyone who will open their minds what recovery is about, why it works, and why, to my knowledge, it's literally the best discipleship pathway for any and every person. So whether you're a first-time guest or a seasoned veteran, tonight hopefully you're going to gain a greater understanding as to why this program is so miraculous and effective. As always, I'm going to begin with the most important reason I believe all that, and this is a very brief explanation of my life. 30 years, one month, and 12 days ago, I was sitting in a jail cell in Denver, Colorado, a hopeless, atheistic, alcoholic drug addict who was in the horrible situation of not knowing how I could possibly survive without narcotics in my system, but facing the very harsh reality that I would lose everything, my family, my freedom, my life, if I didn't stop. Today, I praise God that even though I had no idea who he was at that time, that God knew me, and all my life he's been faithful, and that uh, he had a plan for my life. Uh, a plan for a purpose-driven life. In fact, it was a plan to give me life in the full, life abundant, just as he promises. Today, in this very short time, one day at a time, that abundant life includes the miracle of my salvation and sobriety. My family are all saved. I'm one of, one of two pastors of recovery and counseling at one of the great churches in the world, an integral part of one of the most successful recovery ministries on the planet, both my wife and my two sons, who are both now pastors, are growing in the Lord and serving him with their lives. And given where we came from less than one generation ago, it cannot be questioned that all of this is the incredible change that was made possible because of the love and amazing grace of Jesus Christ, our, my Lord and Savior, and his tools of recovery that are found through this spiritual program of action that taught me how to live by principles instead of my feelings. In fact, the final words of the 12th step explain what I will cover tonight. How is it possible for any of us to be able to practice these principles in all our affairs? So let me begin by making four quick points, simplifying this down. If you don't remember anything else, because there's a lot to be shared, each of these steps are dozens of messages I'm going to fly through in one 20-minute lesson. But I hope you remember these four things. The first two are the most important things we can accomplish in our time on planet Earth. These are the key and principles of what this program teaches any of us. These two things are the keys to our lives and what we will actually be one day judged for. They are both related to the action of love in two directions. 
First, the vertical. How do we love God and obey his plan for our lives instead of our own desires? And secondly, how do we love his favorite things, other people? Let me tell you with complete confidence that your life will be defined by these two simple realities. Love, how you receive it and how you give it away. How can I speak with total confidence? Well, first, we all know it's true. Deep in our hearts, this is what rings true in our lives. But most importantly, we know it because Jesus said it loud and clear in Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, You don't even really need to study the rest of the scriptures if you do this because all the law and the prophets hang on these two single commandments. Friends, this is the greatest cliff notes in history. And each of our legacies will be determined by this one word, love. Did we receive it? And then how did we give it away? So the first thing I hope you'll take with you tonight is to be honest about your love for God, which scriptures say is directly related to our obedience. And then, how well do we love other people? The second two things are what this program teaches are the two greatest enemies of any human's ability to love. These are guilt, which is related to that vertical relationship, and resentment, which is related to the horizontal relationship with other people. Please remember to take this with you tonight. I'll get back to these two things of guilt and resentment as we work through the steps and how they work to free us of those things. So if you ever wonder why these principles work, remind yourself simply that they're the love principles of the scriptures, and they will remove your greatest enemies in your ability to love, guilt, and resentment. So my mission tonight is in the next 20 minutes to explain why this is true. Why should you listen to me? Well, maybe you shouldn't. So let me bring in another voice as to the effectiveness of the CR program and its principles. Let me quote Pastor Rick Warren. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the great leaders of our century and generation, pastor of a church of over 30,000 people, and the man whose church who's baptized 50,000 souls in the last 30 years. He says this about the Celebrate Recovery program. He says of the 318 ministries here at Saddleback Church, I can state without apology that Celebrate Recovery is my number one favorite ministry for one reason. What's that reason? It's a leadership factory. That he quotes that boldly. Now clearly he's stepping on a lot of toes, 317 other ministries' toes, but he knows it because he believes it and he's seen it work. So tonight, in a few minutes, In the few minutes I have, I'm going to explain why he believes that. So, if this is true, how does it happen that you could become a leader? How in the world did it happen that I became a leader? Believe me, every day I ask myself that question. By working this program. Just as as this program tells us in step 12, by practicing these principles in all our affairs. So, let's go through them. Let's go through the principles and ask ourselves, are they of God? Are they really as significant as I'm trying to convince you they are? Let's take them one at a time. The first principle of recovery is the principle of grace. Grace transforming lives, one life at a time, one day at a time. That's our mantra around here. First and most importantly, grace is how you first receive love, for it is by God's grace that you're saved in the very beginning through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God to any one of us. 
Yeah, practically, let's come down to life on life terms. I don't know if you realize it, but there's no other place outside of the rooms of recovery where you will experience such grace. And this is so important because we all learn through life experience to uh, not drop our mass because if we do drop our mass and get real, we get hurt. And so we all go into hiding. And the hiding builds up our guilt and our secrets, which festers our character defects, and the cycle goes on and on and on. And so why does recovery offer this grace? Because it's essential. But mostly, practically, because in our room we have guidelines and traditions that make sure you will be bathed in God's grace every week when you enter, and you will be loved and encouraged for who you are while you're here. This grace offers each person the opportunity to drop the mask, quit hiding, and actually open up to these principles that are God's tools to spiritual formation and growth. And as we work the steps in these communities of grace, God then begins to freely work in our lives. Then we move and find the second principle after grace. That is found in the first step and continues throughout every step, and that is a very rare trait in the human condition called humility. Nowhere do you experience such humility as you find in the rooms of recovery. Humility is why recovery is for those who need it, not those who uh, want it. Not for those who want those. It's not, yeah, it's for everybody, but you've got to want it. Let me cut the chase, sorry. Um, and why is this? Because we're all prideful. And, and God opposes the proud, and bring, but only gives grace to the humble. Because no one becomes to recovery on a winning streak. And for those of us in recovery, we've all been humbled at some level by God, life, and the result of our pride. So here, in this principle, we admit the truth that nothing good lives in us apart from Jesus. That we don't know what we ought to know. That our knowledge puffs us up. But it will be God's love that eventually, through this process, builds us up. And through this grace and humility... It leads to the resulting principle of honesty. The first step, principle, we admit we're powerless. Now that's honest. Friends, growth in this program requires rigorous honesty. Yet true humility obviously really does produce this fruit. It's like the flow and the fruit of humility. Because if we get honest as to who we are before a holy and perfect God we realize we have very, very little to offer anybody. Psalm 103 says it about as bluntly as you'll find it anywhere. He says, he knows how we were made. We are but dust that he breathed life into. And we all have a long list of character defects that would tell us loud and clear we all need recovery. And because of this, I would hope, and it's my prayer, that everybody would be open to their need for recovery in this message tonight. But I know it's not easily true, so just in case you uh, um, are in that camp tonight or you're listening online, I have uh, the most popular slide we ever produce about ready to go on the screens. And uh, before I shall, uh, show you this, I, I tell you this true, true story that the last time I, I taught this lesson, I was with a city leader who asked, hey, what are you teaching at, at CR tonight? And I told him the lesson called the introductory to recovery. And he grinned at me. And he said, isn't that the lesson that you show the what do we need recovery from slide? And I said, yes. And he said this almost verbatim. He said, that slide is what changed my life. 
And I'm so thankful because it got me into recovery. And Jesus, through recovery, changed my entire perspective on myself, faith, and spirituality. May that possibly be true for you tonight as we look at this list. This list always silences every room. You can hear a pin drop because none of us can escape the realities of our sin natures and the patterns we all have in our life that says we need healing, we need recovery. The truth is we're all broken. We're all sinners in need of grace and we all struggle. We're all wicked at our cores, just like the prophet Jeremiah proclaimed. The heart is deceitful and wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? So the first principle is grace, which leads us to humility. Andrew Murray says humility is the the soil out of which Christian virtue grows. And we get honest about we're all messed up. We all are in need of God and grace. And the next principle, the second step principle, it's the easiest for most here tonight because we're in a church. It's the principle of faith. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could actually restore us to sanity. But I'm a great example because when I first came into this program, I had zero faith. And I didn't believe in a God or a higher power. And that's likely true for maybe a few of you here tonight. Yet I promise if you keep coming back and you open your heart to humility and honesty of the first two steps, it will begin to open your heart to the reality that there's something greater than you out there and to the possibilities that he loves you like he really does. So in the second step, we come to faith in our time of need. Then we hit the next principle, surrender, the third step principle. We turn our life and our will over to the care of Jesus Christ. How, you ask? Well, we're taught through the literature that we become convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. If we live that life, we find ourselves almost always in collision with something or somebody. The Bible calls it snares, and we just keep bumping into problems that we self-produce. Friends, the third step principle is the power principle. Without this principle, any of us are operating in our broken human self-will that will run riot, end up bringing us into these rooms once again, broken again. The The Bible says the Lord is searching the whole earth, looking to strengthen a heart that is wholly devoted to him. This principle of surrender is where we find our hearts strengthened. And it's through this principle of surrender that the miracles of God begin to unfold in our life. Here we let go and let God, and this principle more than any other begins to transform our lives. So we got grace, humility, honesty, faith, and surrender. And next (laughs) comes the work where we actually have to start writing things down. Most people are like, don't put a pencil in my hand. Uh, The principle of self-examination. Here in the fourth step is where we really find the difficult written work That is the first step that will prove whether we've truly practiced the third step, surrender for real. We face who we really are at the depths of our inner being before a holy God of the universe. Pretty scary for most of us. It sure was for me. Friends, we're only as sick as our secrets, and unless we have undertaken this process, we all have these six secrets that are the cause of our mass that end up keeping us sick. And our brain says, if anyone ever knew this about me, I'll take that to my grave. I've never had anybody do a fifth step with me that didn't say there's some things I'm really struggling to admit. We all have them. 
But Proverbs declares this prior to this step in this way. It says, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. That guilt and that shame makes us paranoid. It shuts us down. We feel distant from God and ultimately distant from other people. And here in this step is where we face our guilt, the number one enemy of our ability to love. It's because we're filled with that guilt and shame that we keep running and we keep hiding and we stay sick. So here together we deal with enemy number one and in a two-step process, four and fifth-step principles, we walk into the light as he is in the light. And first we do a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. For someone my age, that's a very long written inventory. The times I lied, the times I stole, the times I cheated, the times I got angry, the times I lusted, the times I was selfish. Can't even put it down. It was pages and pages and pages and pages. The list goes on and on. And by this time in the process, fortunately, we have the tools of a sponsor that we trust who is speaking into our lives to help us break through all the years of denial that says, no, I'm really a good person. I really, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Every one of us think that. Be forewarned that this is where an average close to one half of all people simply poof, where'd they go? They disappear. It's amazing. It's fearful, and at some level, it's understandable, yet it's always sad to watch. But for those of us who hang in there, after completing this inventory, we take the fifth step, and we begin practicing the fifth step principle of confessing to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Practically, what you're doing is sitting down with God and then someone you trust and letting them into who you really are. And for the first time in your life, you drop the mask completely because you read out loud that list of your written inventory. And then a miracle happens because of God and his grace more than anything, but also the attractiveness of humility and surrender and, and what this program offers. You receive nothing but love and acceptance. Of course you do. You don't think that unless you've done it, but you find that after all of the years of fears that they were nothing more than the lies of the enemy who had maintained control and his desire to keep you sick. The fruit is that here you are set free of the guilt and the shame by the great love and acceptance of God and other people. It's very, very powerful. And what is the ultimate fruit of practicing these first seven principles? you fulfill the first and greatest commandment. You find a God who is a God of love and grace and forgiveness like you've never known. The guilt and the shame of your sin disappears and loses its power over your life. And you have a love for God that is so beautiful and rare. We're living out that first and greatest commandment to love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. But we're far from finished, that's the vertical. We still have a, are at a high risk because God knows there's another important area of our life to clean up, that second commandment. So empowered by this new love for God in our lives, we undertake the most humbling and difficult part of the whole process. And that's cleaning up our pride and our struggles and our sins against our fellow man and women. Here's some good news. There are only two biblical love principles required for maintaining loving, healthy human relationships. The bad news is, that they're almost impossible without Jesus to practice. The first principle is forgiveness. We're told how important this principle is in so many places in scripture, but possibly the best is Ephesians 4.31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
In applying this principle with our sponsor, we look at every relationship we've ever had in our lives and look at the people who've hurt us, and we do deliberate, difficult, and extended work to forgive them. We continue this step until God, ourselves, and our recovery team, our sponsor, tell us we're free from all that bitterness and resentment in our lives. What a joy. Think about it. It, The result is unbelievable. And oh, that people would find it. It's stunning that people go, we don't need that program. Next, we look at all those same relationships and ask God to show us who we've hurt. And then we contact every one of those people and make amends and attempt to reconcile the relationships that we've left in the wreckage of our sin natures unless to do so would injure them or others. Proverbs tell us the truth that fools mock at making amends for sin. Jesus put the instructions this way in Matthew 5 in the greatest sermon ever said, ever preached. He said, If you're offering your gift there at the altar and there you remember you have a problem with a brother, leave your gift there at the altar, go ahead and drop it off, but first go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come back and offer a gift. Most of us sit here knowing the scriptures are very clear on forgiveness and amends, yet so few, because of our pride, ever learn to apply these two freedom-offering, life-altering biblical principles. But why are they so important? Well, go back to our two greatest enemies of the Christian life and love. We've already taken care of the guilt this way. These take care of the problems horizontally with our, our mankind. Unforgiveness and the root of bitterness and resentment that defiles so many. And most importantly, the people who harbor it. The program is eminently clear if you go to meetings and read the literature. It says, quote, resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more lives than anything else. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease. We're in a church. We should care about being spiritually healthy. More than you'd think people are out there in those secular rooms of recovery, right? Now, that's a big reality to ponder and surrender to God. But here, working with your sponsor, we cast it all into the depths of Christ's love and in so doing, free ourselves from this second enemy of the life of love. We get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger and every form of malice and our resentments so that we get off the pity pot and receive God's freedoms. For those who learn to practice these two principles of forgiveness of men, they find what very few people actually experience. They find the promised miracles of recovery as they experience a new freedom and a new happiness. They comprehend the word serenity and they know peace. Friends, I don't have to tell you, I believe you can sense in your spirit the way your life will begin to unfold and you'll be blessed by this time in the process. Through the first seven principle, you will have grown in your love for God and through the second part, you will have grown in your love for people and with the resulting serenity, love, and peace, and joy, the convulsions that brought you into the room will be lifted. It's an amazing reality that many experience. But for those who are so blessed to have reached this point, there are still two more principles that by this time aren't very difficult. This is pretty easy by this point. It makes sense if you've experienced all this change. They actually become part of our being and quite natural. Next, for those of us who've been blessed by receiving these promises through this greatest discipleship process known, it now becomes natural for us to be hungering and seeking God who's provided all these blessings 
on a much more regular scheduled basis because God has done for us what we could never have dreamed we could do for ourselves. So on a daily basis, we quite naturally seek him, growing and listening to him, surrendering to him so that he remains in control of our lives. And through his power, we keep applying these principles and make sure we never return to the old ways, which would send us into hiding and allow the pride, guilt, bitterness, and broken relationships to mess us up again. We keep our slates clean, as we say. We keep our lists short with God and our fellow man because we're all still sinners and we'll all continue to be hurt and hurt others for the rest of our time on planet Earth. So we continue to spend time daily with God, admitting our sins when we're wrong, forgiving those who hurt us and saying we're sorry to those we hurt. And because these character traits are so rare in our world today, let's just be honest, those who practice them are pretty much lights for the kingdom of God. So once we get here, we quite naturally are living out that final principle, the 12-step principle of service. Now, every day for the rest of our lives on planet Earth, we continue growing in our ability to serve others, our desire to serve others. Why wouldn't we? We've received so much, we almost can't wait to give it away at every opportunity. We become more like Christ, who took on the very nature of a servant. We've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, so we live to take this message to others and practice these biblical principles for healthy love relationships in all our affairs. And because Jesus told us that to be a leader, we must become a servant, in fact, a servant to all, we're now leaders, proving why Rick Warren says that he's seen this ministry be the leadership factory for his church and everybody who goes through the program for the worldwide exaltation of our Savior who does the work. And friends, I ask you, what could be better? There's nothing. Because as Jesus said, it's all about relationships. Love me, he says, and love your fellow man. All of life in the Bible hangs on these two principles. Keep it simple, stupid. And the 12 steps are God's biblical love principles. They're guaranteed discipleship path that works to removing all your guilt and all your resentments. For years now, I've challenged any Christian leader to show me any more effective discipleship program because I said, anybody who can show me one more effective, I'm in. And I can tell you, I have never found any Christian leader bring me anything that comes close. And if they do their own research, especially if they get into the program like so many do, they quickly admit there is nothing like it anywhere else on planet Earth for spiritual formation. It really is what it claims to be. And tonight you have a clearer understanding of why it works and why God loves this program and everyone who attends it. But just in case you still don't believe me, I close quickly with three quotes from people I deeply respect. These are people way smarter than me. First, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, he writes this. Confession, freedom from guilt here and secrets, and forgiveness, freedom from resentment, are precisely the disciplines by which spiritualization and carnality can be avoided and true personal growth lived out. This might all sound very unrealistic, but anyone who has had any experience with the healing communities such as Alcoholics Anonymous or adult children of alcoholics has seen the healing power of these disciplines. 
many, many Christians, priests and ministers indeed, included, have discovered the deep meaning of personal growth, not in their churches, but in the 12 steps of AA and ACA. Friends, CRs changed that. We're in the church now. Hallelujah. Next, the brilliant Christian thinker, author Dallas Willard, in his great book, The Renovations of the Heart, which title speaks to recovery, writes this. Historically, the Alcoholics Anonymous program was closely aligned with the church and Christian traditions, and now it has much to give back to a church that has largely lost its grip on spiritual formation as a standard path of Christian life. Now, that's a harsh statement he just made. Any successful plan for spiritual formation, whether for the individual or the group, will in fact be significantly similar to the Alcoholics Anonymous program. And finally, back to Rick Warren, who once again, who says boldly, celebrate recovery is the clearest expression of the church in action in the world today. Friends, we have a new day. The safe, grace-based room to recovery and these healing, growing principles are available to every believer in the body of Christ, right where they should have been from the beginning. In the next few months, every one of you will have the opportunity to keep coming back and work these steps so you too can find for yourself what I and now millions of others who've experienced the greatest discipleship process available anywhere are saying is true. I and many others are here for you. We'll be praying that you'll be back and we'll be walking alongside you on the journey. We know, we know it will not only bless you and your life, but God's kingdom, even down to a thousand generations of your family for those of you who do the work and grow in your love for God and other people. Let me pray. Lord, We can wrestle, we can argue, we can fight. I can do all those things. I still do, Lord. I'm so human. But the truth is, if we start to practice these principles in all our affairs, everything begins to unfold because your grace and your mercy and your love is so powerful in our lives. Lord, would you spread your message? Would people find these safe, grace-based, merciful, loving rooms of recovery where they can practice biblical principles and drop the masks and find the freedom that results? Lord, would you fill these rooms worldwide? Please, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand me. Thank you, folks. Stand and say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.